turn to the Word of God this morning. I'm going to take you throughout a number of scriptures, so hold fast to your seat as we go. Jesus, help us understand our identity in you. Amen. There's a crisis in the church. That crisis in the church is that we've lost our identity. Many of you have heard of identity theft. These are people that troll the internet and your credit cards and uh, receipts uh, and look for ways to steal your identity. And there is a thief and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Those are not nice words. And you have to understand uh, that there is nothing like him as an entity. He is pure evil. He absolutely hates your guts. He could care less about your feelings. He wants to destroy you, crush you, rob you, so that in any way he can offend the Father. So that any way his Father lavishes his love on you, he wants to absolutely destroy you. Though he's no, he knows he's already lost you to God and that you're saved, he wants to rob you of everything that God has brought to you. He wants to spoil your inheritance. He wants to strip you bare. And he wants to laugh in your face about it. He wants to crush you under his feet. Have I painted a diabolical yet a picture? I don't think I have because I think we're too nice to him. We tolerate him much too much. And you have to understand daily it is his desire to spit in your face, to spit in your spiritual food, to steal anything he can from you, to cripple you, to maim you, to rob you, to utterly destroy your identity. Am I getting closer? And so this identity theft is after who you are in Christ Jesus because he knows that if you would begin to understand what this abundant provision of grace provides for you you would be too hard to stop you would be too uh, mighty to move and so he wants to rob your identity over and over and this has happened in the church it's happened for centuries it's happened for years and in this day and in this hour the people of God have got to find their identity again, and stand in the place that God would have them to stand. Now, you need to understand that this guy is so diabolical and so treacherous and so evil that he opposes God to his face. Do you understand? He opposed God to his face, in his face, and he opposed the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and in fact, he tried to rob Jesus of his own identity. And we start the story with the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. At age 30, he walked into the baptismal waters to John the Baptist. And as John is proclaiming, and John of the Levitical priesthood is declaring repentance to the nation of Israel to prepare for Messiah, Messiah comes and walks into the waters and says, this is necessary for righteousness' sake. There's a transfer that's going to happen from the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood of Jesus Christ. As Jesus walks into those waters and is baptized and immersed, a voice comes out of heaven declaring, declaring, Father God declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then the Spirit of God manifests like a dove and descends upon him, lighting upon him and anointing him for the ministry of Messiah to walk in the anointing of Isaiah 61 and to go forth into all the towns. He comes out of the water, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, and he begins to fast in preparation for his ministry. 
And after 40 days of fasting, in the weakness of his flesh, in the tiredness of travail and intercession, the enemy, Satan, comes to him to tempt him. To tempt him how? To tempt him in his identity, because the very first thing he says is, if you are the Son of God, how dare he? Come on. Forty days earlier, we just heard God speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son. And the first thing the devil wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy your identity as to who you are. That was his attack on Jesus. If he attacked Jesus on that, how many of you know he'll attack you for that very same thing? Only Jesus resisted. And we're just not of the same caliber as the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he came to Jesus, he tempted him in three ways. He tempted him to alter his identity. This is key. He attacked him to leave his concentration on father to avert it to self-identity. And so what he did is he tempted him because after 40 days, you're kind of hungry. Your flesh is hungry. He says, if you're the son of God, why don't you just make some bread out of these stones? Attend to your needs. Now, how many of us have lost our identity by tending to our flesh, to our needs, right? Our hungers and our desires. He then says, look it, you're so important. I know you're important. If you're the son of God and so important, just step off of the steeple of this church. Just jump off. The angels, of course, will guard you because of who you are. And so he, he attacks him in his identity. If you are, you're so important to turn himself to consider who he is. He doesn't need to consider who he is because God told him who he is. And then last of all, he says, you know what? Everyone will bow down. I'll give you all these nations to bow down to you, the pride of life. I, I, just, just consider that they would all immediately bow down before you. But Jesus' identity doesn't depend on who says yes or who says no. It depends on what the Father says about him. Your circumstance doesn't tell you who you are. Your situation in life, your emotional condition doesn't qualify or disqualify your identity in God. How many of you know that there are many believers around the world who have been brutally beaten and killed and so forth, but they are still sons of God. God didn't forsake them, but God called them through a time like that, and they needed to remember who they were. We've got teaching out there today that, that you're supposed to be able to, to get through anything and that, and that God would never let anything bad happen to you. God will do what he wants to do to give his name glory. But here's the trick of the enemy. Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. We change that verse and we say we should not be ignorant of his devices. We could be. But Paul says you are not ignorant. The only reason we're ignorant of his devices is because we didn't learn and we didn't study. They've been exposed from the garden. There are three ways the enemy uses to distract us into a self-examination instead of our identity in Christ. One is, everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. And this fallen world is a self-conscious, self-centered, self-egotistic world. 
And if the enemy wants to rob you of your identity in Christ and get you focused on yourself, poor you. He wants you focused on yourself, your own situation, your own condition, and your own heartache, and your own pain, and your own misery. And so he'll go after you. If it's the lust of the flesh for food, he'll tell you to get food to eat. That's what he did with Jesus, so that Jesus would tend to his need instead of his duty. Lust of the eyes to to see that, that he's important. He is the Messiah. And of course the angels would catch him from falling. But he's not to attend to that. To the pride of life whereof they'd all worship him but but he doesn't need the devil to make him worship because just what christ will do will have every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is lord if and as he continues to be obedient to his calling and this is where you and i get robbed and so in the church we've got foundational issues concerning our identity that we've all been robbed And I want to point them out so that you can take back what the enemy has stole and that you won't fall for it again. And that you will be aware that he's trying to turn you inward to your self-examination, your self-identity and self-concern instead of who God says you are. And so we go back to scripture for that and the foundations. And the first foundational issue I want to share with you is the word justification. For you to begin to understand that you have been justified. This is past tense. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, you have been justified. Let's try to understand what that means so you get it. According to Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14, he, God, forgave us all our trespasses. Did it sink in yet? How many? Okay, all our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. What convicted us, what condemned us? The holy law of God. Paul tells us there was nothing wrong in the law. The law is perfect, the law is righteous, the law is holy. What it points out is how far we fail to meet the dictates of that law. So the law stands against us and condemns us to death because the wages of sin is death and the law proves we're sinners. But what God did is God took that law against us and he nailed it to the cross. And by nailing the law against us to the cross, he forgave us all our trespasses, canceling the debt that was ascribed to us. We owed God for our sin. But Jesus mediated and substitutionary atonement. He took our sin upon himself. Took our sin and took the wrath of God's judgment upon sin for us. He was perfect to the law so the law was in him nailed to that cross and because of his perfection he took sin upon him and therefore God satisfied his judgment against sin in Jesus Christ therefore you will not receive the condemnation nor the judgment for your sin that's justification Woo! come on 
That's well, I'll go back to that. It goes on to say that's what disarmed the powers and principalities because they can no longer accuse you of failing the law because in Christ Jesus you fulfilled that law. And therefore the enemy who is an accuser cannot accuse you because you have a high priest who comes to your aid and defends you and your position. Justification goes on, 2 Corinthians 5.19. God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's trusted us with this message of reconciliation. You see, the devil wants to rob you of your identity of being justified. He wants you to stay in your sin and guilt and shame. He wants to remind you of what you did in the past. He wants to tell you that you really are a wretch. You're really a loser. God, you know, what could he do? He loves you so much he had to save you, but you're still a loser. And and he wants you to stay in that place, but justification says, no, you cannot stay in guilt and shame. You must walk into the decree that the Father has made. You have to understand, who is the one that decreed your justification? It's the Father. It's the Father. God reconciled the world to himself through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the vehicle by which sin was absorbed and punished. But the Father is the judge that decreed, you are now guiltless. You are sinless. You are not condemned for sin any longer. That's pretty amazing. Now that's God. But the devil would have you think, Jesus is the nice guy, God's the mean one. How many of you know that? Jesus is lovely. Isn't he friendly? I like Jesus. Jesus is nice. He goes for walks with me, talks with me. But the Father, what a cranky old guy he is. He's just angry all the time. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus said, you didn't even hear my words. You didn't even see my actions. Every word I spoke and every action I did was to reveal Father. What you see in Jesus is the heart of Father. And Jesus was obedient to the cross. And so the Father has canceled out the sins against, that were against you. Not counting people's sins against them. God is not counting your sin unto condemnation. The law condemns. Love convicts. Big difference. Law condemns. Love convicts. Love will tell you the truth. Love will show you where you fail. Love will call out your weaknesses because love wants to perfect itself in you. There's the difference. You're no longer treated as a sinner. You are now a saint because you've been justified. And now you're being treated for your problem, no longer condemned in it. Does that make sense to you? Come on, that's justification. Romans, uh, sorry, Acts 13.39. I like this verse because I just discovered it. I just found it. I'm thinking the Holy Spirit wrote it last night, came into my Bible and put it there because I've never seen it before. Not as if I would know every verse, but uh, you ever find a verse that is like, where did this come from? (laughs) Acts 13.39, Paul is preaching and he said this, by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Oh, man. What could the law of Moses free you from? Nothing. It could only condemn you. 
And he says, but Jesus came to free you from everything. Let me, let me just let me simplify it. Jesus came to free you from everything the law condemned you in. Everything. Everything. He came to free us. That's justification. That is the legal standing and position you have with God. But we've been robbed. We don't believe it. We still think we have to do more for our penance. We think we have to do more for our attitude to be right with God. And you know what that is? That's a shame against the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can do to help justify your condition. It is Christ's blood and Christ alone that is our justification. The minute you think you can add to it, the minute you think your good behavior is going to help God love you a little more, you have offended the blood of Jesus. To think you could mingle something of your own with that precious blood. Amen? I mean, this is a free gift, brothers and sisters. We have got to thank God for this grace. And because we've been justified by the blood of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Father will not condemn you for your sin. Oh, pastor, you're giving people permission to sin. No, I'm not. I'm giving you the revelation that you're free from sin. I'm giving you revelation that you are no longer condemned by a sinful action, but in fact, God will save you. Listen, God knows your condition. God knew what you did in the past. God knows what you're struggling with now. And God knows you may fall tomorrow. But justification covers you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that give you freedom to sin? We're not done yet. I'll show you why it doesn't. Romans 8.33, who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? Who? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who is raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who? Who's going to bring an accusation against the people of God? We know the devil will. Will it stand? No. He can approach, but he's got to pass through Jesus. And Jesus will say, "Mm -mm, not today. No, never. These I have purchased with my blood. They have been justified. They are cleansed. And so that's what justification means. You need to understand that if you are born again, saved in Jesus Christ, you have been justified. If we have been, Romans 5, 1, if we've been justified, we therefore now have peace with God the Father. Has your peace been robbed? Huh? Right? Your peace has been robbed. Some of you are afraid of God. You're afraid to approach God. But justification gives you boldness to walk into His presence with confidence. That though I may fall and though I am weak, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Because if you think you can mediate your own sinful condition by your efforts, you don't understand this grace that's been given us. You have been justified. That's why we spend half hour, 45 minutes in worship. Because I can't stop talking about how God has saved and justified me from my sin. Thank God. Do you know what it's like to be accepted like that? But the legal decree made legally, you are justified. Now, hey, this is important because if you've been justified from sin, sin is now removed and under the blood. Now, God can put his spirit in you. Because before that, the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit can't dwell in you if you have sin in you. Well, Pastor, are you saying I'm sinless? I don't have any sin? I'm saying that you were in Adam. 
and your nature was sinful. But coming to the Christ, you, to the Lord Jesus, you were taken out of Adam and you were put into Christ Jesus. And your sin was justified, paid for by Christ Jesus. The blood cleansed you. So now the spirit of holiness can come in and abide in you. How many of you know that this was the plan of God? Everybody thinks that, that it ended at the cross. Your sin's forgiven and that's it. Your sins were being forgiven for one reason. So that he could come and occupy and inhabit you. So now you are sanctified, set apart. You're the elect of God, called and chosen. Justified from sin so that he could now live in you. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6 is such an important chapter that you are identified with Christ on the cross. You were at that cross because as he put his body on that cross, the law was put up there and your sin was put up there. And the judgment of God met that sin. And an exchange took place. You in Adam was put on that tree, but Christ was given unto you. And so your Adamic nature, the old man, was put to death so that you would be born again. Born anew. You have a new DNA. You have a new identity. Behold, all things are new. The former things have passed away. You are a new creature. You have a new identity. You are sanctified. You are holy. Be holy as I am holy. Look, at if you didn't get out of Adam, you'd be frustrated to try to be holy. You can't. We have an entire Old Testament of a people living in Adam who couldn't become holy. Are you getting this? So you were taken out of Adam and you were put in Christ Jesus. You have a new position, a new identity, and a new classification. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. And the spirit of holiness abides in you. But many of you have been robbed of that knowledge. You're still trying to live out of your flesh to the spiritual ability that God's called you to, and you can't. Some of you are still living as if you were of Adam when you are of Christ and your identity's been robbed. Some of you don't realize that you are holy, you are sanctified. And so our fight against sin isn't to work for our condition, our sanctification. I'm not fighting sin for my nature, I'm fighting sin from my nature. From my new nature. See, some people see sanctification as something they're hoping to attain. I'm not there yet, I'm not good enough. Yeah, well, under his examination, you're never good enough. It's not you. It's the gift. And this spirit is a gift in you. And so you're not working towards or for your sanctification. You're working out of the sanctification of the spirit of God in you to move and to act and to will. That's who you are. Romans 6.11 says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. You're dead to sin. That is your identity. One who is dead to sin. So someone who's saying, gee, you know what? God's so gracious, he forgives me all the time. I'm going to see what I can get away with. I'll just sin and ask for forgiveness. That is not someone who's born of a new nature. So that has a lot of questions as to whether you're saved. If you're trying to get away with sin, 
That is not the nature of God, and so I wonder if that's even in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm seeing like a blankness here. (laughs) This is too much, too much for you. And you've been robbed of that. You've been robbed to try and work for your sanctification. That's a lie from the enemy. Oh, you'll walk in it because that's your nature. What's a fish do? He swims. That's his nature. What do birds do? They fly. That's their nature. What do you do? Not sin. That's your nature. See, you live out of that nature instead of this Adam one where I'll just always sin. Just going to always sin. Just thank God for the grace. I'll just keep repenting and have grace and fail God and he'll forgive and fail God and he'll forgive. What a weak Christianity. That's Christianity before the cross. Can we have a Christianity after the resurrection? If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll quicken your mortal body. He'll quicken you to resist sin. He'll quicken you because unto him who's able to keep us from falling. Do you believe your high priest could keep you? Then let's walk in the sanctification. But we've been robbed to live to the least of our abilities. But with Christ, I can do all things. Righteousness. We've been robbed of understanding who we are. Not only have you legally been justified from sin, and that case is closed, you are now free from sin, free from condemnation, and now my spirit of holiness dwells in you to empower you to resist sin and overcome it. You now have a right relationship with the Father. But the devil wants you to always be afraid of him and cower from him, but he, you have the, re, the same relationship that Jesus had. Ephesians 1, 6 says this, To the praise of his glorious grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You see, all of this is by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. This is just the goodness of God. The goodness of God justified you, not your goodness or your good looks or your church attendance. It's the grace of God that justified us. It's the grace of God that sanctified us and put His Spirit in us to empower us and strengthen us. It's the grace of God that makes me accepted in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. So when the devil comes against you, it's not about me, devil. It's about all that he's given me. Praise to His glorious grace, He's made us accepted in the Beloved. Father has no issue with you. No issue with you. The love of the Holy Spirit will convict, will show you your weaknesses, show you your failures, show you sin so that He can give you the power to overcome it. That's a whole different story than being a lost sinner condemned to hell. Because you're beloved. You're loved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You became the righteousness of God. Do you understand that? This word in the Greek, the becoming, is begotten, is begetting. It is the creation. It is miraculous. You were transformed. The miracle at the cross by faith in Christ took you out of Adam, birthed Christ's nature in you, and you became right with God. Consider this. We've all been robbed of this idea. But the very same relationship that Jesus has with the Father, you do too. It's the same relationship. You've been accepted in the Beloved. What that means is the same love that Father has for Jesus, His Son, is the same love He has for you. 
Therefore, love him the same. Love him. Love him. Be reconciled to him. Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Who is that one man we're talking about? Oh, you guys are good. Adam. Okay, you get hypnotized, you give me Sunday school answers. Every answer is Jesus. Did I get it right? <laughs> Not this time, it's Adam. For if by the trespass, the sin of the one man, can't be Jesus, he didn't sin. If by the sin of the one man, death reigned through that one man to all mankind, death reigns over all who are in Adam. Are you in Adam? Oh, good. I was, I was really scared. I was wondering, what am I going to get back? How much more will those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Do you see the difference? Being taken out of Adam, you have now been made right with God. Therefore, you will not, death isn't going to reign over you, but I like this too. Life isn't reigning over you. You reign over life. You reign in life. Because of the abundant provision of grace, there it is again, always through grace, through grace, through grace. You cannot, you cannot think that, again, don't turn self, don't turn self. This is all from God. But you've been given what? The gift of righteousness and he's comparing it to death so the minute you were born little baby came out of the womb wah, smacked the smack came before the wham smack you started crying you were immediately born in sin you didn't ask for it you didn't choose it it's your condition born in sin which means you were born to die in like manner, the minute you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to trust that he died for you, the Spirit was birthed in you and you were immediately born in rightness with God. It's a gift. It's your birthright. Immediately right with God. Immediately. If God had to wait for you to get it right, No, don't you understand how important this grace is? He secures you first. He secures you first. He'll work out the sin. Oh, he'll work with the sin, but not condemning you for it. He's already recovered you, right? See, see if you had to clean yourself up before you could come to him, come on. This is absolutely necessary because we can't do it, but we keep getting robbed where the enemy keeps turning our gaze to ourselves. I'm not good enough for God. I've fallen. I can't be used. I'm not right with God. All of them lies, stealing your identity. And so, you have been given the gift of right relationship. If we confess our sins, that word confess simply means to agree. If we would agree with God what sin is. Look, if you don't agree with Him, you're not going to uh, walk out of it. Right? So God has to illuminate you. God has to get you born again. God has to reveal truth and awaken you to what sin is. 
or, or you would never deal with it because you wouldn't agree with God. Isn't this the one issue we're always fighting with, with the homosexual agenda and the transgender agenda and everybody else? Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Well, then no. They're not going to agree with you because they're dead in their trespasses and sin. Same with you. It wasn't until you came to the cross and agreed with God, I'm in sin. Then he can deal with it. Look, if you confess your sin, he is faithful. There's the relationship. That's rightness. He's faithful. And just. There's the legal aspect. Justice. There's the legal. There's your justification. He is faithful relationally. And he is just legally to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes you righteous, and then he's now going to go do the deep surgery of cleansing and cleansing all the days of your life to get the sin and the issues in agreement with him. But grace keeps you in him. The enemy wants you to stay outside of him. The enemy wants you to rob him. My daddy loves me. I fail my dad, but he loves me. Sometimes I get a spanking, but he loves me. Sometimes he puts my borders around where I can go and can't go. But you know why? He loves me. I walk in that. I walk in that. I want you to walk in that. You've been robbed. Last of all is the greatest adoption. Now this adoption, John uses the term adoption to just have the sense that you were all once estranged. You were all orphans and God brought you in. But you didn't belong to him. But this adoption that Paul's talking about is different than just uh, an adoption of being an orphan and now being found. That's as far as that one goes. But he go, Paul goes deeper with this adoption because God didn't just adopt you uh, as a foreigner into his family. He made you family Amen. because he gave you his nature. He put his genes in you his dna his fivefold he birthed you of his nature and his spirit you became born again so that entitles you to the name son of god because each one of you here were personally birthed by god you can't be a son of god unless you're a direct creation from god you didn't come into the kingdom of god because you joined a church you didn't come into the kingdom of God and become born again because you recited a verse or a prayer. You came into the kingdom of God because you were birthed by God's Spirit and every one of you became a direct new creation personally by God Himself. And you've been robbed of that identity. You think God would forsake you. What kind of father would forsake his child? You see, we've been robbed. And uh, uh, John tells us in 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God, to those who believe in his name. So as you put faith in his name and what he did on the cross, you believe in your heart, he died and rose again from the dead for your sins. As you put faith in that, you now receive the right. That word in the King James is power. In the Greeks, it, it is exousia. You received the exousia, better said, the authority to be called a son of God. But we've been robbed of that authority. We question whether we're saved. We question whether God even likes us. We, we question if I could 
make this statement. Look at if you would understand who you are as a son of God, it would change the way you pray. Because we are not making appeals to God, we are making declarations for God. There's a big difference there. An outsider says, please, 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 give me, give me, please, please. But a child says, Father, what is your will? And I decree it. Romans 8, 15 and 17. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We are sons of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. That blows my mind. Do you understand what that verse says? I'm an heir of God. Everything that belongs to God, guess what? It now belongs to me. And I get to call Jesus my brother, a co-heir. If I'm a co-heir with Christ, that means everything Christ gets, I get. We've been robbed of that knowledge. We've been robbed of that knowledge. We, we want scraps. This should change the way we pray. Jesus is mediating for the Father everything he accomplished on the cross. But see how the devil's turned it around? We think that Jesus is mediating for us towards the Father. See, see, we're praying to Jesus because he's a nice guy. He likes us. Jesus, uh, tell the Father that I'm still here and not to hurt me. And Jesus is going, oh, Father, I know they sinned, but please, no, I died for them. Don't, don't do it. Don't throw. Don't let them get in a car. Don't throw the lightning bolt. Don't do it. I died for them. Father, we forget who justified us. Father, you think he forgot? So what is Jesus' intercession as high priest for? It's not directed from us to the Father. It's directed from the Father to us. Jesus is trying to mediate the inheritance that he gained at the cross to his co-heirs, to his joint heirs. He's waiting for someone to say amen because every promise in God is yes to the amen. Those who will ask for it, those who will decree it. He's waiting for someone. Can someone ask me please something so I can release to the sons of God their rightful authority in the earth. But we forget and we've been robbed of it and so we cower, we think, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, till again that heart begins beating again. The Spirit says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, reminds you who you are. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we all would have walked away from God a long time because we've been lied to by the devil over and over and over. Come on. 1 John 4, 17. But this is love perfected. That's the whole point. Love is being perfected. Another word for it is completed in you. It's not based on your performance. It's based on your willingness to agree with the work of God in you. And as you're agreeing with that work, his love is being expanded into you. Your addiction to pornography is being attacked by the spirit of holiness because he wants to perfect love in you where you are lacking and where you are wounded and where you've gone into some addiction. The, the alcoholism that you used to use, the numbness of the drugs, your addictive behavior is because there's something broken in you. But God saved you. He justified you from that sin. He made you righteous and he has sanctified you by his Holy Spirit. So love can attack. Love can go in and expand and perfect that which is broken and incomplete in you. 
That's how he looks at sin. But the devil tells you, God can't love you. You're a loser. God can't have you. You fell again. God can't use you. You'll never make it to the kingdom. That's a lie. Understand your identity. And so, this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. This blows me away. I wish I could speak for hours. Uh, sometimes I get long. I'm sorry, but I just, I can't, I just, it's just, I love the word of God. I love explaining God. He's so glorious. He's so awesome. He's so wonderful. I, here's another verse I discovered. That's why I'm all geeked up on it. I've read this a million times, but how many of you have confidence for the day of judgment? What? Right? A few of you. I never knew this. I mean, preachers use this all the time. You just wait. The day's coming. Everything hidden will be found out. It was found out even before you did it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you would let yourself be examined and judged now, when you take communion into this, the Holy Spirit will deal with it now so that you can have confidence in the day of judgment. Don't cower. It's a lie of the enemy. Your, your identity's been robbed. You're a son of God. Your identity is righteous, right with the Father. You're sanctified and holy. Your sin's been justified. Walk in that. So on the day of judgment, you go and say, Oh, God, all I've done is loved you, and where I failed, forgive, I love you. And he goes, I know you do. Have confidence in the day. Why? And here it is. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He didn't take you out of the world. He prayed specifically not to take you out of this world. Why? Because he wants his presence in the world. Get this verse. As he is, so are you. As he is, free from sin, power over sin, that's Jesus. Jesus will not uh, fall to sin. <laughs> sin is gone. He dealt with it. So are you. As he is holy and righteous and pure, so are you. As he is rightly with the Father in right relationship, so are you. As he is the Son of God, so are you, a Son of God. All of this achieved by Christ Jesus. Walk in it. Move in it. I close with this. We started at the baptism of Jesus because Jesus... Though he was 30 years old going into the baptism, uh, baptism has nothing to do with how old you are. But there is something significant in what God said over him at age 30. It's called sonship adoption. In Judaism, at age 30, the son of a father is declared the heir of all the father's possessions. He can speak for the father in all contractual issues. He can sell and buy whatever he wants for father and with a father's authority. And at age 30, they entered into sonship adoption. And the ceremony is the father would take his son into the public square and announce to all people, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that is who you are. You are the beloved son. You are like him as he is 
in the earth. And so, we've been ripped off and robbed. Our response to the enemy saying that you're not forgiven, you say, it is written. Just like Jesus did to that devil. It is written. My justification was assured by Jesus Christ who nailed the law to the tree. When he then says, you're not sanctified or holy, you're a sinful person, you say, it is written. I've been taken out of Adam, and I've been buried in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead dwells in me, and I am sanctified and holy in Jesus Christ. It is written. And when he says, you don't have a good relationship with him, you say, look at it is written. I am the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that I'd become the righteousness of God. And then when he tells you, who do you think you are? You say, oh, it is written, I am a son of God. And I have the authority, as the word declares, that soon the the God of peace will cause you to be under my feet. Get behind me and under my feet. You need to know your identity. And if you've been ripped off, it's time to reclaim who you are in Christ. Stand with me this morning. Somebody... Get hungry for your identity this morning. Cry out to God to know who you are. Father, I thank you that we are identified with Jesus. And we will not look to ourselves. We will not look to our abilities. But by grace we will accept the gift of righteousness, sanctification, justification, and the adoption as sons of God. That's who I am. I'm a child of God. Would you give praise to Him for that today? Would you say, that's who I am? That's who I am. That's who I am. Hallelujah. I want to pray an impartation to you. We're making this entire room an altar to God. Would you lift up your hands? And now on the altar of God we pray. Holy Spirit, would you pray and speak through us? Would you declare right now over your children that they are sons of God. They have authority to speak and to issue the will of God into the earth. They don't have to be beggars anymore. Will God, I pray right now, to break off every lie that the enemy has put on us. I break off all the doctrines of demons that have twisted the word of God and made us less than who we are. I pray, God, that this understanding will be revealed to us and that we will walk in the freedom of being cleansed from sin and walking in righteousness. Release that power now to your people as we glorify glorify you and for this grace given to us in Jesus name come on shout to God